So when I came a few months ago, I wanted to quickly try to discover what made Ebenezer Ebenezer. Through various meetings and discussions and talking, you know, what I wanted to get down to was what did Ebenezer value? Then, because I had to ask myself the question, you know, when I went through the interview process, I kind of had a feeling that we had a lot in common, so to speak. But we worked and we worked and we came up with a renewed statement at the time that we called our mission statement. And as you remember, if you recall back in the in the spring, we went through this whole idea of H-O-P-E as an expression of, of what we feel like God has called us to do. Well, I'm the kind of person who doesn't leave good enough alone. Uh, my wife can attest to that. My kids can attest to that. I can do something, fix something, and it still isn't where I want it. I want it perfect. But the problem is, is some things you just never can get perfect because it's a tension that you manage. It's a process that's ever-changing. It's dynamic. And so a few months ago, we began to dig even deeper into what it is we feel like that God has called Ebenezer to do and to be. We're very clear that we are a people of hope and a place of hope, but we want to make sure that you and I are on the same page, in the sa- heading in the same direction with the same intention. And so here's some things that we discovered about Ebenezer that was just just very mind-boggling to me. One of those was we began to analyze just how strategically Ebenezer sits in Tekoa, surrounded by schools, rehab centers, just all different types of resources, and we're on the main drag. We're visible. But God has uniquely equipped this church to do some great things. You know what else we discovered how broken people are around us. And folks, if it doesn't bother you to see broken people, I pity you. Because if you don't get moved by someone who is struggling, whether they're the richest man in this county or someone is homeless, Jesus looked on the fields and saw that they were white unto harvest and it moved him and I want us to be moved by the brokenness that is around us and even in this room. Because if we're all honest, just like Jesus said, he didn't come to, the, to those who were well but to the sick. But the truth was they were all sick. And we are too. We are surrounded by abject brokenness. And thirdly, God is making and moving and preparing us for things that we can't even fathom. So we begin to look at that statement. And I wanted to say this in such a way that I hope it moves in your heart. We can make a choice that we can either do church or be church. Let me say that again. I want you to, I want you to really take that statement in. We can either do church show up and attend, check off the box, or we can be church. Because when we leave this building, this building is just a building. It's timber and metal and seat covers. We are the church. We are the ecclesia, those called out of the world for a reason and a purpose. And so as we've been going back and forth and talking and, and, and digging, we believe we, we know what our mission is. We believe that we know where God has pointed this church. And it's, and it's very simple. And when I read this statement, you're going to be like, wow, really? Yeah, because you know why it's simple? Because we want you to be able to sit on an elevator or stand in an elevator. You can sit in an elevator if you want to. I mean, it's all up to you. I mean, but we want these seven simple words. We want you to be able to use these in an elevator. You're talking to somebody and say, hey, well, where, where do you live? Oh, you live in Tekoa too? I go to Ebenezer. Can I tell you what we, why we exist? Leading the broken to hope in Christ. Leading the broken to hope in Christ. In fact, would y'all mind saying it with me? I'm going to be like Anita. I'm not as good as Anita. She's got lots of orchestration I can't do. Just give me a bass let me play. Ready? We're going to say this together. Leading the broken to hope in Christ. Now let me break that down. Why leading? Why are you using a present participle? Why didn't you use an infinitive? Because we're doing it. 
and we want to keep doing it, and we're going to keep doing it. We're going to be leading people. And it doesn't stop until Jesus Christ comes back and raptures his church. We are in the process of leading. Leading what? The broken. The destitute. The hurtful. The hurting. Or even the hurtful. Jesus said to love your enemies, right? That's who, that is our target. And that target is huge and it's wide and it, encom- it encompasses us everywhere. But you know what that means, though? If we're leading broken people, that means that we have to get messy. That we have to get uncomfortable. That we may have to be inconvenienced. Because when you're dealing with messy people, it ought to be messy. You're going to have to roll up your sleeves and roll up your pants and walk in the muck and the mire that people are walking in. Why? Because they're broken. And if you remember and recall when you were broken and how someone came to you and helped you get back on the shore, get back on a firm footing, then it should drive you to want to do the same. Because we're leading the broken. Now notice, here is the infinitive, to hope. That we want this to become their action. That we want this to be what they do. That we want to lead the broken to now hope. Hope in what? Hope in Christ. Christ alone. We can't solve the brokenness that people have. Why? Because brokenness is a result of sin. And the only person who solved the sin problem is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to this earth, died on a cross, shed his blood so that you could be saved from your sin. That's who we are. And so it, it, it then it trickled down into our hope statement. And I, I want to just take a moment, because we, we did. Again, I told you, good, good. I can't leave good enough alone. And so we, 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 we reworked our words just a little bit. And so the first one, instead of helping others know, we, we felt like we needed to say that we need to help others connect. Why? Because relationships matter. People matter. That is a core value of who Ebenezer is, that relationships are a primary focus that drive what we do, why we do it, because we want to help people find hope in Christ, right? And so that matters. So if you remember the stones that we talked about, the three words that are important here is that we attend, share, and invite. If I'm going to connect with people relationally, I need to be a part of it. So gentlemen, I will see you at meet and meet. You had me at M-E-A-T. I don't know what kind of meat it is, but if it involves bacon, I'm telling you, it's going to be good. But have a place to meet. That means you've got to attend. That also means that you, that you share. Like, I mean, maybe some of you are introverted and you're better one-on-one, or some of you are like me, you can get in front of people and do what I do on, on Sunday mornings, but whatever the case may be, you need to share your life with other people. And the easiest thing that you can ever do, the easiest seven words in your vocabulary is, will you go to church with me? Invite. We, we give you the tool, but you know what? We want this to be so much a part of your heart that you wake up on Sunday morning going, I need to make sure somebody's coming with me today. If we caught that fire, if we really valued that people matter, relationships matter, oh my gosh, the transformation that could come. And then you move on to the O, which we, 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 we've always had it kind of this way, but own our faith. We realize that for faith to matter in our lives, we have to own it. It has to become ours. But we tweaked this just a little bit because we wanted to add a, a word that, that we believe God has led us to. We need to learn. We know that. We need to learn. We need to learn. It said, baptize them and teach them to obey what he commanded. Who? Jesus. We need to learn. And in learning, we follow. But it's this third word that we added, multiply. We want our vision for our discipleship arm of this church is to make disciple makers. We don't want catch cans. We want conduits. We want people to be so moved because they value growth. They value discipleship. We want you to value that. Why? And how do we see that? Because then we're going out and whether it's one-on-one or in a group or a life group or wherever it is, that I'm living in such a way that it becomes contagious and other people want to be a part of that. And then the third one, the P, we had to pursue God, but now we added an adverb. We added daily. We added daily. Why? Because 
We all sang a little while ago, right? If you add up the amount of time we sang, it was about 15 minutes. That's about this much of a week that's this long. So you're saying you only worship 15 minutes out of, out of the week? No, we want to worship God daily. And we do that by honoring Him. We honor Him with our lives. We honor Him with our words. We honor Him with our work. We honor Him in our relationships. We honor Him. And in honoring Him, we connect to Him by praying. We're a praying church. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm going to tell you that starting at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, your pastoral team is in my office praying for you. And then we transition that. We come up here and we meet with the deacons. And guess what the deacons do? They pray for you. You were prayed for before you ever stepped foot on this campus this morning. That God would do a work in your life. That he would inspire you. That he would encourage you. That he would admonish you so that you can go out of this room and make a difference in this world. That's why the daily part is so important. And in giving, we talked about giving last week of our, of our tithes, but I want you to think about the giving of yourself to others. Like, again, if you're going to rescue somebody out of the pit, in the mire, you're going to have to get in there with them. That you give of your time. You give of your talent. You give of your lives. You give of your stuff. Why? Because we believe it makes a difference. Why? Because we value God above everything. We value God above everything. The, the value here of worship is that we value God. And then the last one, to extend His hope. There is hope by no other name in Christ. And if His name is so valuable, if He Himself is so valuable, then it drives us to go to serve and to reach that I'm going, I'm not stagnant, that I, I'm not stuck in here. We're, we're in church maybe two hours a week. We're going, and as we're going, we're trying to impact the world by the way that we live, by the way that we exalt God, the way we glorify Him with our words and our actions, so that in doing that, we're serving. Like guys, let me tell you something. Serving is that place where you value someone else's success over your own. When you truly serve someone, you're not thinking of yourself. You're thinking of the other person. And that's what communicates best what Christ did on the cross, who emptied himself. Have that attitude that was in Christ. And then lastly, we want to reach. And guys, we don't reach people that are stuck in the swamp and stuck in the mire by standing on the bank going, Hey, what kind of idiot are you? Why are you out there? Are you not smart enough to know not to walk out in that stuff? Get out of that stuff. That does not help anyone. That's called shame and guilting. What you need to do is put on your waders and you wade out in the muck with them. When, when Peter started doubting, did Jesus stand up and go, Peter, you idiot. Where are you? Can't you believe it? Did he stand there and shame him? Or what did Jesus do? Come on, what did he do? He reached down and pulled him up. He didn't question why he was sinking. He didn't shame him for doubting. He pulled him up. And folks, that's what we've got to have. And I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to join in a great mission. To, in leading the broken to hope in Christ. You know, we'll think about the way things used to be. We'll talk about old revivals and how God moved and all that stuff. Guys, that's back there. I want God to move now. I'm ready to watch God open up a gate and see people in our community come to know Him. Not so we can say that we reached them, but so that we know that they are right with the Lord. That's what ought to drive us. That we become broken over the broken. And that we then go, go, can go to them and say, look, you can have hope in Jesus. That's what all of this boils down to. Guys, I'm ready. I don't know if you're ready, but I'm ready. God's already at work. And I want to stay in line with that. And so, one last time, I just want you to say it with me, just, just so I can say you said it with me. Leading the broken to hope in Christ. And that's what defines us. And guys, I'm listening, I, I mean, just the stories that you could hear of people. In fact, I want you to remember your story. It goes along with what we're going to talk about today in Malachi 3. Do you remember your life before you met Christ? Do you remember where you were and what your life was like? Because you were that person that was stuck in the muck and the mire. And, and someone came to you and helped you get out of that pit. That was Christ that saved you, but 
Someone had pity on you. Someone had concern for you. Someone came and and served you. Why would we not want to reciprocate that? Why would we not want to give that back? When we read this today, we're we're going to talk about remembering things. So turn to Malachi chapter 3, and, and let me kind of bring, you, bring us up to speed where we are. Are y'all excited? Because if you're not, I am. I'll just live the excitement for you. I'll live vicariously through you. No, I'm serious. I, I, I love what God is doing. And, and, and I'm honest when I say that there's things that I've seen lately that just blows my mind in a humbling way. Because guys, we can't do what God's called us to do. Only God can do what God has called us to do. And I want that to be the the focus of what what we see, is that God has called us. If He's called us, He will equip us. And if He's equipped us, He will guide us. And if He will guide us, He will lead us. The first oracle that we received in this book, God said, I loved you. And the Israelites said, how? God said, I've proven it to you because I've been faithful to you. In the second oracle that we've studied, God says, you've disrespected me. And they said, how? And Israel said, or he said to Israel, you've despised the name of God in offerings that are not acceptable. And then in the third oracle, God had refused those offerings. And they said, for what reason? Because Israel had acted treacherously in marrying outside the covenant boundary, mistreating their spouses. And in the fourth oracle, the people complained that God was acting unjustly. And so they responded and said, well, how have we wearied God? How have we wearied him? They're coming to him consistently saying, you're you're acting unjustly. They had wearied him. He had grown tired of hearing this. But he promised them that judgment was coming. And then last week, God took it even a step further and said, the people were not keeping God's statue specifically in tithing. And so they actually asked two questions. Well, how, how can we return to you and how have we robbed you? They robbed him because they were not entrusting in God their obedience. And so for us, what did we glean? Here's some things we've gleaned so far. That we need to respond to God's covenant love by loving him. That we need to honor God in whatever sacrifice we bring. That we need to be faithful in God in everything because even the minute things matter. Especially when I choose a spouse. Y'all with me? To hope in God. We need to hope in Him because His judgment is coming. And that ought to give us hope that God has not forgotten you. He's not forgotten me. And that we need to obey God in everything. And that we need to be joyful givers. That's what He's challenged us to. But you know what they had done? They had forgotten who they were. They had allowed the world to define them as a defeated people. That God had deserted them. That they couldn't get the things back that they had before the exile. And and they were upset and they were mad. And they're here trying to rebuild. But they had forgotten that they were God's chosen ones. His people. It's kind of like in Lion King, the movie. When Simba, uh, Rafiki finds Simba and kind of teases him that he knows where his dad is. And so he's running through that thicket of grass trying to catch up with Rafiki, and he gets to this pool of water. And Rafiki peels it back, and he looks down, and all he sees is himself. And he's like, that's not my dad. That's me. But the problem was is that he had forgotten who he was. And all of a sudden in the movie, uh, Simba, or excuse me, uh, help me here, his dad. Mufasa, wow. I forget my own name if it wasn't on my license. So Mufasa appears to him in the cloud, and he says, you forgot me. He's like, no, I haven't forgotten you. He said, you forgot who you are, and therefore you have forgotten me. Who was Simba? He was the crown prince of the tribe. And here they are. They're sitting there in this land. They've been returned to the exile because God was faithful to his word. All this time has passed. They're trying to restore their land, their culture, their heritage, only to find out they're still missing it because they forgot who they were. They were God's people. And I think sometimes you and I, we've come to church for 40 years. We've sat in the same place. We've read the same Bible. And we've forgotten who we are. We forgot that we're the redeemed of Christ. 
Christ came and bought us out of our sin. Paid the price for me and you to be saved. If you're saved, if you're not saved, look at me. You can be. You can be saved today. If you're willing to repent of your sins and to trust the word of God. He said that his son came and died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and was raised again to give you life. You can be saved. If you believe in your heart that Christ... If you, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, he promised that you'd be saved. You can do that today. But see, they had forgotten. They had forgotten what God said in Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 25. After they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, already disobeying God and, and having this lack of faith. And he says in here, when your son asks you in time, saying, what do the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you will say to your son, see, they were supposed to recall. They were supposed to teach. They were supposed to draw their people in, their descendants, their people, their kids, and say, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out with a mighty hand. You need to remember this, that this God took your people out of slavery and brought them into a land of promise. Then in verse 24 of chapter 6, he says, so the Lord commanded us to observe these statutes To fear, say fear, Fear. to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival. That's how desperate it was. If you want to survive, you need to fear the Lord. They had forgotten who they were. They were commanded to tell the story and to retell the story and to remind them of the power of God, his place in Israel, that he was in control, worthy of worship, worthy of allegiance. They were to recall his grace, his mercy, and his power. And that was evidenced by their obedience. And they had, they had stopped doing that. And here's the thing. They needed to be reminded. And suffering is a powerful teacher. When you had kids and they were little, if they were reaching up to the stove, what was the best way that they learned to not touch that stove? When they touched the stove. And they remember, oh, I don't need to touch that again. Because, because we, we to get today, we sit here and we have ourselves surrounded by so many things that remind us of stuff. In fact, I brought one with me. Um, it's got a little age to it. Uh, this book has, has been around for a while. In fact, if you look at the back of it, we, we had this sitting on our, our end table and we used, some, I guess, some weird uh, polish, furniture polish, and it ended up sticking to the table and uh, it ruined it. But um, in front of this says, Our Wedding, Jamie and Laura, May 30th, 1998. And man, I'm telling you, that's a good-looking guy right there. No, <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful woman on page one, I'm telling you. I had brown hair. It looked like I was anorexic. Um, and there, there's my brother before he cut his hair off. And You know, it's precious to go through memory books, isn't it? They remind us of the good times. They remind us, you know, in fact, you know what this reminds me of? I love that woman right there. I've given my life to her. In fact, that's why I wear this ring. I never take this ring off. I sleep in this ring. I shower in this ring. And it's still the same ring that I put on my hand 25 years ago. It's that ring. I haven't gained any weight in my hand for some reason. But see, here's the point. I can look at memories all day long and feel what I felt with those memories. But you know what else I need to be reminded of? I need to be reminded of what I need to do because of those memories. In fact, what we're going to read in just a second, you're going to learn that the the listeners to this oracle finally said, all right, enough's enough. What do we do? And so they write a book of remembrance. So I want to ask you to stand with me as we read through this passage And I'm going to start in verse 12 because I want to remind you of what God said at the end of the oracle last week. He said, all the nations will call you blessed for you shall be a delightful land. Remember, he said, test and see. That was the the challenge, right? But then he goes into verse 13 immediately. He says, but your words have been arrogant or strong against me, says the Lord. That word that I'm going to give you in a few minutes is called blasphemy. They were speaking blasphemous against God. And and he says, well, yet you say, well, what have we spoken against you? And here's this charge. You have said it is vain to serve God. 
Well, why is it vain to serve God? What profit do we have in keeping his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Verse 15, so now we, this is the Israelites speaking, will call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. You see how they pivoted there? God just said, test me and see if I won't pour out a blessing on you that you won't even be able to keep it in your storehouse. And they flip that around and say, you know what, God? Your tests are junk because you said that you would take down evildoers if they tested you, and you're not doing it. They spoke blasphemous. They spoke blasphemous against the Lord. But then he goes on to say, now here we see the response. Then those who, there's that word, feared. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. In other words, they wised up. And the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who were, there's that word again, fear the Lord, and who esteem his name. Are you wondering yet what they wrote in the book? Because we really don't know. But I think I have a good idea. So verse 17, he says, They... They will be mine. Who? They, the ones who wrote this book, says the Lord of hosts, on that day I will prepare my own possession. That word there is treasure. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Well, how will they know who is who? So you again will distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. It had nothing to do with the amount of blessing they had. It had to do with the intent of the heart. And So God, as we dig into this today, Lord, would you speak to our hearts and show us where we stand before you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to uh, notice something very particular here. And it's the idea, this idea of defaming the name of God. Ezekiel speaks of this notion in Ezekiel 36, 20 through 24. God is speaking to the exiled Jews because that's who Ezekiel, Ezekiel actually went to Babylon. And he's speaking to them. And listen to what God says. When they came to the nations where they went, the exiled Jews, they profaned my holy name. Because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord. But they've actually been brought out of the land. In other words, even the nations knew that God had brought them to this land, that he had kept that promise to give it to them. But because they profaned his name, now they are in exile. The verse 21 says, but I had concern for my holy name, this is God speaking, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Even after judgment came, they still were living and speaking in such a way that profaned the name of God. So in verse 22, he says, Therefore say the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm about to act. Now that's a very heavy statement there. God has a priority here as well. He said, I'm acting for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. The Israelites were supposed to be a blesser to the nations underneath the leadership of God. But what had happened, because they went their own way, they were not keeping the covenant, they actually profaned the name of God. And the nations who should have been blessed because of the Israelites were not able to have that blessing because the Israelites were, were not where they were supposed to be. It's kind of like you and me when we claim to be Christian, but we don't live the way we're supposed to. If we are in a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross, and he has put his spirit inside of us, when I live against that, when in other words, when I refuse to repent and let my life be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, it does not benefit those around me. God saved you, yes, to save you, but he saved you because now he needs you to be a mouthpiece and an example for those around you. And he goes on to say that when I gather you from the nations, I'll, I'll, I'll redeem my name because they'll see me act again. But here they are. They've been returned. They've rebuilt all these things, but they still were defaming his name. God was calling them to be a keeper of his word. And he calls his people to exalt his name in word and deed. In fact, if you, if you remember the Ten Commandments, those of you that may have learned them in Sunday school growing up or, or VBS, what does it say about the name of the Lord? Do not take the Lord's name in vain. 
hold on, stop. This is more than cussing, okay? I used to work with this guy who thought so highly of himself. He was self-righteous. He was legalistic. But if somebody uttered the, the phrase GD, he would go off on them. And I'm sitting here going, dude, you're defaming the name of the Lord just as bad as he is. Because of the way you're living and the way you're treating him. Using the Lord's name in vain is more than just what comes out of our mouth. It's how we live. But I want you to notice, if you want to go back and do a study of this, look at the word name in the book of Malachi. Starting at Malachi 1.6. God, uh, if you want to go back and read these verses, you can. They, respected, they disrespected his name because they were bringing lame offerings. God points that out to him. In 111, he points out that if God is not great among his own called people, then how will he be great among the nations? In 114, the Jews had not aligned themselves in such a way to make God's name great so that, they, that God would be feared. Listen, if you stop talking about God in your home, then those who are listening never have a clue or an idea. But you know what we'll do? We'll sit here and say, well, they took God out of the schools. And, well, did, did we take God out of our home? When we talk about him and we bring back those things that we need to remember, God is able to instill in us reverent fear. Go down to Malachi 2.2. God said there's cursing to be expected if you dishonor his name. And then in verse 5 of chapter 2, it says that he gave life and peace for the sake of reverence for fear, which ought to be the proper response to his name. The Jews had disrespected God in their words, in their actions, because they no longer feared him. And because they no longer feared him, serving wasn't even on the table. They were doing the things they were doing because they thought that God was going to just kind of open up this bag of money and say, here you go. Let me make sure you're comfortable while they're disrespecting his name. When we started this series, I talked about there were three things that kind of go hand in hand. Spiritual apathy, a lack of faith, and immorality. In other words, if my believing goes down, I will become spiritually apathetic and immorality will increase. If I begin to indulge in sin, I can expect my faith to decrease and expect to become apathetic. See how they all go hand in hand? We talked about that. And that's what we're seeing bore out here. They had no concern for the things that God called holy, especially his name. They were bringing half-hearted sacrifice. They were marrying whoever they wanted to. They were bringing paganism back into the country. But they're all the time sitting here going, God, where are you? You know what you're doing? You're telling the people that are evil that they're good. Because we're doing the checkboxes, but you're not showing up. And they let it go down a hill, a slippery slope, to where they were misusing their words. So I want to give you, if you want to look at your study guide, let me start giving you some blanks. Here's that question, question number six. The people were speaking blasphemy. The people were speaking blasphemy. You don't know what blasphemy is, right? In fact, when you read the New Testament, the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Which means that you're denying who Christ is. They were denying who God is for the sake of their own bellies. So the question is, well, what have we spoken against you? What have we spoken against you? Again, they were making those accusations against the God of heaven and saying that he was blessing evil. So there's this, there's this statement, and I want you to really hear this. This is the, the response. Religious practice does not equate to relationship. In other words, you and I can continue going through the same rituals that we've always done. We can go through liturgies. We've got brothers and sisters in Christ in churches who, who are very liturgical. But I'm telling you as I'm telling them, just going through liturgy does not make you a Christian. No more than you getting in a, a Happy Meal box makes you a French fry. You and I have to understand that what God wants with you is a relationship. And that when you're in right relationship, the practice of the relationship, not religion. i, I got to be honest with you. I, I really do get kind of on a little irky soapbox when somebody says, well, you know, I practice my religion. No, you don't. Stop. 
Just don't say that word. We're not a religion. We're the people of God in Christ. We have a relationship with Almighty God because of His Son. That's not religion. If you want a religion, there's plenty of them out there. If you want a God, you can have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And so let's, let's plow down through here. Point number one, the manner. The way we speak to God matters. The way we speak to God matters. Because Now, here's the thing. If you study Job, you'll find in chapter 7 where Job basically looks up to God and says, I wish you'd just kill me. Because then Job would have been vindicated in his suffering. And then you read some of the Psalms that David wrote and how, how David was wrestling with, God, you've let my enemies overcome me. Both of them were complaining to God just like the Israelites at the time of Malachi. But what was the difference? The difference was their heart. The difference was their faith. That even Job, no, Job was at the very bottom of the rung and struggling, he still trusted God. He still lived for him. He didn't speak blasphemy against him. Come on, guys. Let's, let's step out of our self-righteousness for a moment. You've had a knockdown, drag-out praying time with God before, haven't you? You've looked at God and shook your fist to heaven and said, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why are you tearing everything down? Why are, you, why are you seeming like you want to destroy me? But like David in the psalm, for those of you that have trusted God, at the end of that, and you begin to experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you turn that around and say, God, I hope in you, and I know you're going to work this out for your good. You have a plan for whatever it is. Some of you today, you've shown up, and you're in some muck and mire. And the last thing you want to hear is somebody pointing their finger at you saying, you got yourself in that mess. What I'm here to tell you is there's a God who's ready to reach out his hand and pull you back on shore. We need to be careful with our words. Yes, we don't need to say GD. I get that. But you know what's more important? That my life is reflecting Jesus Christ. That's more important. And we need to be careful with those words because Matthew 12, 24 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you'll pay attention to what you're saying, verbally and non-verbally, you'll get a window into your heart and you may not like what you see. Aren't you thankful we serve a God who said, I'm going to pull that heart out and give you a new one? I'm going to rip out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, one that's beating, one that's vibrant, one that's alive, that's loving. That's what God wants for us. And we need to be careful with our words because here's the charge. Covenant commitment prioritizes relationship, not material return. Listen to what they charged him with. It is vain to serve God. And what profit, stop right there. They immediately were going like, you know what? I've served God and I've gotten nothing out of it. Some of you feel that way. You've been faithful to God for years. And you're still struggling with your finances. You're still struggling with a lot of different things. But can you come to a place where you say, you know what, that's okay. Because I'm trusting in God to continue directing my steps because he knows my path. And right now it hurts. And guys, I'm telling you, when you're in a, in a hard situation, it hurts. It's hard. And I can't promise you, because God doesn't promise this, that it's all going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. What I can promise you is God will work all things to those who love Him for His glory and His purpose. And when we surrender to that, when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt us at the proper time. And so you look back at this text again, and you see where He says, So now we will call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. Because this is about relationship. This is not about religion. This is not about a formula that fills my pockets up. This is not health and wealth mentality. That stuff is not of God. You can't name it and claim it. Otherwise, I'd have a pickup truck. Because I need one. I mean, you, 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 I remember reading this book years ago. about, about it, And it was actually kind of addressing this idea about the health and wealth, name it and claim it kind of mentality. And it was, it was like, here's this person living in destitute, abject poverty, but yet, but yet they were praying and asking God for a 60-inch TV. Naming it and claiming it. 
And, and guys, I'm telling you, that's not, God, God is holy. He's not cosmic Santa Claus. And when we put him in his proper place, then I can worship him and adore him in the proper place that he is. That doesn't mean that things aren't going to happen to you, that doubt's not going to come. But wait a minute. How many of you would be honest in this room today and, say, and answer this question? Is it a sin to doubt? Don't answer that. I don't want to embarrass you. Is it a sin to doubt? What if doubt is the doorway that God uses as the opportunity to build your faith? Rather than feeling ashamed for the doubt you experience. And let me, let me paint this picture again. Peter steps out on water. He's walking. He sees the waves. Did, did Peter sin in looking at the waves? But when he did, he began to doubt. He was overcome with the fear of the wrong things because he forgot that the one who is, controls the waves is sitting in the boat. So Jesus reaches down and he pulls him up. And guys, we need to recall that. We need to remember that, that, that God is sitting on the throne. And when we have things that happen in our life and we doubt, it's an opportunity. Now, if you stay in that doubt, yes, then you're doubting. You're, you're going into a path of faithlessness. But let doubt be the doorway to lead you to trust in the Lord more than anything. Because when we don't turn those things in the right direction, then we'll start speaking against God. What's opposite of speaking against God? What's opposite of speaking against His name? It's to speak in His name. Jesus said in John 14, 13 and 14, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that, here's the reason, the Father may be glorified in the Son. There's a purpose in our asking, so that the Son, God, may be glorified. In Acts chapter 4, 10 through 12, after the Lame man at the gate, beautiful, was healed. And they're standing before the Sanhedrin. Peter said, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by this name, this man stands here whole. He is the stone, talking about Jesus, that, this, the, that was rejected by you, the builders, but which now has become the chief cornerstone. And this verse that you're very familiar with, and there is salvation by no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given by men that by which we must be saved. The gaining of wealth, of things, of possession is to be secondary. Seeking the kingdom of God needs to be my priority. Because it's about relationship, not possessions. So let me ask you this. If you lost everything today, like Job, where would you stand? Matt Redman said in one of his songs, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come. If we stripped away what you call religion, if we stripped away all the comforts that you had, would you simply come? Or would you step back and balk like the Israelites and fold your arms and say, well, God, you must not be a good God because I've done everything you've said to do, but you aren't doing it the way I think you should do it. That's hard, isn't it? Do you know what? Maybe we need those stripping moments in our life. Maybe we need those moments of, of pruning so that God can focus us on what He wants us to do. Because if that is so, then our response should be piety. Piety separates the religious from those who are in relationship with God. And it's one word. It's the word fear. And I'm afraid we don't really understand what fear means. This isn't to be scared to death. This means to place God in his proper place because there is a fruit of fear. There is a result of fear if that fear is appropriate and that is wisdom. Don't you want to know how to live and how to act and how to walk? Well, we need wisdom. Proverbs 1, 7. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instructions. And it sounds a lot like these readers. They had despised his wisdom. Or Psalm 111, you make that correction, you're both in 111, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all of those who do His commandments. The wise thing to do is to do what God said. And with that, everybody said, Amen. Because if you try to live life on your own path, if you try to live it to fill your belly, you're going to find suffering. And like I said earlier, though, suffering sometimes is a good teacher. We need to be stripped. We need to be pruned 
And we need to be able to see ourselves for who we are. They feared. Look, look back at that text again. It says that when those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, so they feared and then they spoke. They responded to this, at this meeting. And God heard and he responded. And so they wrote a book of remembrance. They, they sat down, I believe, and they said, wait a minute, guys, we have messed up. But on any given day, I'd forget my name. I forgot Mufasa earlier, right? But I don't think they went through there going, well, you know, my uh, flowers came back after they wilted. I don't think that's what they were writing in that book. What they wrote in that book was, I need to stop bringing my blind lambs to the priest. And um, I need to stop flirting with the Midianite girls. You see, you get the picture? They wrote in the book that which they needed to remember to exalt the name of God. And I'm going to challenge you right now, and I'll re-challenge you at the end of my message. What should be in your book of remembrance? If you, I want you this week to go home and make a list of about ten things that you need to remember on a daily basis. And put it on your fridge, put it on your dash, put it somewhere, put it as a screenshot on your phone so that every time you put your iPhone up to unlock the phone, you'll see that list. What, that, what would that list have? I need to pray for my kids. Before I leave to go to work, I need to remember my words have weight. Whatever needs to be in your book of remembrance. Now, I'm not saying that in your book of remembrance you don't remember, you know, God healed me of that cancer, that God provided for me when I least expected it. I think those things are great to be in the remembrance on the emotional side, but from the doing side, we need to remind ourselves of what it is that God is telling us and calling us to do. And that last point there is the reality This is the reality. This is the product that fear and esteem are qualities of the redeemed. Fear and esteem are qualities of the redeemed. He said, they will be mine on the day that I prepare them to be my own special treasure. And so you will distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. How? Because they who serve God are those who are righteous. You cannot judge a person based on on their outer appearance. Jesus himself said if he, he charged the Pharisees as being whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. But what you can do is this, that when you see someone's behavior and words reflecting the fruit of repentance and the fruit of the word of God embedded in the life, then you can begin to analyze and see the heart of a man or a woman. I want my behavior, I want my words to reflect a heart that's committed to the Lord. And then I thought about this in 1 Peter chapter 2 when Peter writes this, but you, you are a chosen race. He's talking about us, the redeemed of Christ. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. The Israelites had missed it. They were supposed to be the blessers of the nation. So the gospel went out to the nations and through Christ, the true king, They were blessed, and we are blessed, and they will be blessed as the gospel penetrates. And he says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You and I can settle the issue today of where my heart is when I ask myself the question, have I truly believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have I repented of my sin? I know I've been on that soapbox, but guys, I believe God's stirring in my own heart for me and for us that we need to stand in repentance before the Lord. Don't excuse your sinful behavior by saying, well, that's just the way I've always been. God is calling you to repent and turn away from those sinful lifestyles that continues to entangle your life. But then I turn to the Lord and I trust His Word, and that Word should begin to change my life. And those are the two avenues of fruit that God wants to produce in your life. Because here's that last blank, and I want you to hear this. The one who fears God, stop, right there. The one who fears with piety and reverence, the one who fears God, that person loves God. And as a result, he serves God. Listen to this this quote, and I'm going to go ahead and ask Caleb to come on and, and get us started with our last song. The problem we've seen repeatedly in Malachi is that he's addressing a group of people who are fulfilling religious duty with no concern for relationship. 
Y'all track with that? In a sense, they just want to come to church and get their cut. But the vital principle of covenant is relationship. Say relationship. The way to unlock the door to a new level of experience with God is to pursue the relationship with Him, to pursue Him for who He is, not what we want Him to give us. So I want you to sit on that for a moment today as you think about your life. Where would you fall in that spectrum? Do you have a relationship with God because you see that your sin separated you from Him? and that Jesus died on the cross so that He could bridge that gap between you and the God of the universe who wants a relationship with you? Through that relationship, whether you ever become a rich man or you stay a poor man, you are blessed because you know the Lord. Are you tired of missing out because you are spiritually apathetic, refusing to believe and take the Word of God at face value or that you love sin and the indulgence of sin more than the solution. Now I'm inviting you today. As we next Sunday we'll wrap this series up in a very special way, I hope. But I do believe that God continually has put that message of repentance on our heart because He needs us to get it. You don't just repent one time. Yes, when you become to Christ, you are repenting of your life, but you know on your life journey. You're going to get off the track and you need to consistently and constantly say, Lord, show me where I have fallen short. Show me where I've sinned. I repent of it and I turn back to you. Clean me up. You know, it's funny. When you think about standing on the shore and offering somebody hope, we talk about Jesus being the rock, right? Well, I don't know very many people that see the rock and they jump out there on it and start doing a dance, you know? What do you do when you're in the swamp and you're walking by a creek? You do this. Even if you know it's a rock, even if you know it's sure, you still are stepping out there and feeling it a little bit, and then you put your other foot on there and you wiggle a little bit. Make sure my footing is good and that this rock isn't going to move. I'm telling you, Jesus does not move. And we need to stand on that rock And that when we fear God, it it produces in us this love for Him and a love that His name would be reverenced, that it would be exalted, that it would be magnified. And I want to do that with my actions. And I want to do that with my words so that a lost and dying world can know that they have hope. Lord, as you speak to us this morning, as we move during this time of invitation, maybe somebody in here is just struggling. They're like, you know what? I've done all those things. I've kept the checklist. And I'm just like the reader's of this prophecy, I'm, I'm just kind of mad at God because He hasn't shown up for me. God, would you give them peace today that they can trust in you no matter what. For those, maybe they're still in this room and, and today they've heard this message that they're not right with you. They're not right in a right relationship with you and they need to come and they need to repent of their sins and trust Christ and receive Him and, and be saved today. And Lord, for the rest of us, maybe you just need to stir in our heart what it is that you want to remind us of that we can write in our own little book of remembrance that we would live for you each and every day. Because we believe as Ebenezer, Lord, that we are to pursue you daily. So Lord, show us what we can do daily to pursue you in Jesus' name. Amen.